Hi, and welcome to Gomology, a podcast about menswear and clothing, old and new, from a perspective of buying, wearing, evaluating, appreciating and collecting. The idea is to provide a non-fashion view of what men might wear if they knew more about it and the stories that go with. Hello and welcome to another live opportunity here with uh, Wilverstad and uh, Sean Roughnotes. Hi there. Hi Sean. Afternoon, afternoon. I wasn't late, was I? No, you weren't. I was late. Uh, oh, that was you. Right. Just busy setting up here in the sunny garden. <laughs> Excellent. I like what you've done. Is that, was that an orphan jacket? Your orphan jacket, yes? No, it's actually, no. Uh, it's actually a Cordings uh, hop sack jacket. Mm. Um, haven't actually worn that much yet. Um, I think I'd seen it before. Straight. Oh. I've got a parasol here, which is sort of changing direction with the wind sure. and occasionally blowing over. Uh, yeah, this is going to be good. Yeah, it's the same here. It's really nice. I've come into, obviously, go outside, but I've come inside because it's um, uh, certainly the weather's, weather's fantastic. It's really, really good. So. Okay, so today, what, what, what are we talking about? <laughs> uh, I thought today's chat could be about uh, influences. Ah, uh, okay. Where, where did we pick up our sort of garment-related influences. Sure. Okay. Uh, and I know from our previous little chats that uh, you picked them up at a much younger age than I did. Mm. So I thought you could kick this one off. Okay. Yeah. I think... Um, I, I don't think that we, that's unnatural for the UK, certainly. I think we uh, tend to... Depending on sort of where you live, big town, small town, village, country... I think you would you would tend to pick up on these these sort of things quite quickly. That was the norm, I think, um, when I was growing up in the eighties. Certainly, um, the first thing I suppose that I remember thinking about clothing was probably about twelve or uh, eleven, even where I think my I must have been going through a sort of period of growth that I think stopped then as well. But um, that my mother bought me a pair of, of Dr. Martin shoes for school rather than just the standard like Clarks or whatever, you know. And I remember a couple of the older kids sort of going, oh yeah, cool shoes, you know. And and I think that sort of had some sort of influence on me where I thought, oh yeah, yeah, they are cool shoes, aren't they, you know. Because this would have been, what, 82, 83, maybe. Um, so sort of still at the sort of fag end of the mod revival spoke scar certainly in my town, which was quite a small town, um, was still, you know, still very influential. So you, you still had um, a lot of people that were wearing, you know, like flight jackets. There was a big scooter scene at the time as well. So there was still that kind of mod thing where there was even, you know, sort of uh, specific mod discos and that kind of thing so you would kind of go along and and i think that kind of rubbed off on me quite early that i could see i, I never got wholly involved in it but i could see that you know these guys had certain rules and, and certain guidelines that um they stuck to um to, to influence to influence what they were and i think that influenced me slightly as in um i was able Personally, to, when when I would go to the shop, I would see things that I'd quite like, you know. So that would that would kind of influence me. Um, so like narrower trousers, or or um, the, we had a shop 
in um, Dundee that did um, like sort of mod specific mod clothing. You know, it was called Breeks, um, but they did this range of of knitwear that was that was influenced by the Who, and it was like white with um, arrows or um, like white with a red and blue stripe. And I remember buying, saving up to buy this jumper that was like white with a red. So I, I just thinking it was the bee's knees. So I'd only been maybe like thirteen yeah. at, at that point, you know. So I, it did, it you know, I think it did have quite an influence on me um, quite early on that that scene. So I, I would imagine in, in the cities, people would have maybe moved on from that eighties. Um, whereas in small town, it was still fairly, um, and the whole the whole scar thing as well. So. Um, you know, like button-down shirts and cardigans and that, that early on I knew that that was kind of smarter than just wearing a T-shirt. So, you know, you would, you would kind of make a bit of an effort and, um, you know, get your mum to get you a couple of decent button-down shirts. Or um, there was a thing called Y cardigan that's probably going right over your head where um, the Y cardigan came in a range of shades and burgundy, grey, blue, and it just, it was like a sort of college, American college style thing with a Y um, on here and a stripe across and like, <laughs> ev ev they were just like acrylic, these jumpers you know, everybody had one and then, you know, everybody had a, a cheap imitation Barracuda uh, Harrington as well, you know, so there was these things that you kind of wore to, to fit in slightly, but I kind of liked them as well, so um, and I, I, I didn't, as I say, I didn't go wholeheartedly into the um, the sort of mod revival scene, but it was there, and it was always a kind of a an influence, shall we say, um, but for me certainly, and and everyone around me, you know, uh, there wasn't many people that kind of a uh, few heavy metal fans and and goths then that kind of went out on their own thing. A few people that did the kind of new romanticy type baggy trousers and, and pointy shoes and, and white jackets and that kind of thing. So there was a wee element of that as well. But the norm was that kind of, uh, that mod revival thing that kind of, that did influence me slightly. I think it's interesting that even though growing up in a small town in Scotland, yes. you clearly had so many more subcultures mm. and influences yeah. than me growing up in a small town in the far north of Norway, past yes. Arctic Circle. Where, and this is going to be hard for the young ones to sort of comprehend. There was no internet, uh, there was no Instagram. There was very few outside influences apart from magazines, which you really didn't come across yeah. as a young person. Yeah. Uh, very limited television, really. Mm -hmm. uh, there was just one channel for the entire Norway, mm -hmm. uh, and they weren't really sort of the hip and happening thing. So things changed when uh, when MTV arrived with the satellite televisions. But I can remember visiting England on holidays and uh, seeing uh, the sort of heavy metal guys with their cut-off uh, Levi's uh, denim jackets mm -hmm. with the big Iron Maiden patches on the back. Yeah. I, I think that really sort of put me off denim jackets because yeah, yeah. <laughs> I still can't see myself <laughs> wearing one. Um, uh, I don't like Iron Maiden either. So no, yeah. no, that's it. And you know, they were always a bit filthy as well, weren't they? These jackets, they were always, like, covered. Well, well the wearers too, really, you know, look well dodgy, so... Uh... <laughs> yeah, yeah, they weren't, uh, they weren't very good. No, I think it's probably come, 
later to you then than it, than it did to me. But certainly, um, yeah, I think like when you say about magazines as well, I think by, by the time I was kind of 14, there was a magazine out um, called Blitz that, that was a kind of general lifestyle-y uh, fashion type magazine, a little bit like Face, but perhaps less sort of music orientated than, than Face. And like 80% of it, I didn't really... Like, I read the articles, but I didn't really understand that because it was kind of London-centric, you know? It's very London-centric. But again, a lot of the fashion stuff, you were kind of like... Initially, you'd be looking at these shoots and going like, what the heck's that? You know, that, why is that guy wearing Dr. Martens and tracky bottoms, you know, and, and that kind of yeah. thing? But you began to sort of interpret these looks to an extent, even at an early age, where you could take one or two... So you kind of understood what they were doing, where they, you could take one or two elements out of it or an overall style, and then make it your own, you know? Um, so I think going up to sort of 19, sort of 86, where Arena Magazine came out, and I think that, again, that was um, a quarterly magazine initially that was was a fairly, fairly big influence on me as far as a lot of the fashion shoots and stuff, stuff went. I should interject here, there was a whole thing around football casuals as well that I'll, I'll kind of touch on later. And I think yeah. a lot of people kind of went for that without going for the kind of football-related violence. But And I feel that, and as I say, we can talk about this, but that's kind of been a thread all the way through men, what men wear in Britain to, to this point today, you know? So going back to that, so like spending a bit more on trainers and, and, you know, thinking about what trainer brands that they're going to wear rather than just whatever your mum's bought you at that age, you know, um, what kind of jeans. It, so it became sort of more label intensive at that point, you know, where um, whether it was Lacoste or Tashini, certain certain um, labels would go, go through phases of, of a matter of months at a time where they would be at the top of the heap whether it was the say of Sergio Tashini for a while was seen as like the thing um, and then it was like Gabici jumpers um, there was even a trend for a while with, with people wearing Burberry trench coats and um, Burberry you know deerstalker hats from Dunningco and stuff umbrellas that, that was the whole one-upmanship part of it why they totally. wore to call dresses yes. because there was a competing in having the fanciest most expensive rare clothing and, and all that yes. yeah and I think like magazines and that, that that I was reading didn't follow that at all. That wasn't like, it didn't seem mainstream. You know, you, you read the occasional article in a newspaper, but this was all kind of done in groups, I think, amongst them. Um, and I, I don't think it particularly interestingly, but I look back on photos now, there was about a year or so where I think it must have, and I had this like, thing about Paisley pattern shirts where buttoned up to the neck where I think um, that was a kind of casual thing under, under a kind of waffle jumper um, for a point and, and corduroys, I got this thing about corduroys for a while as well um, about wearing corduroys, so I suppose in a way, yeah it did so to an extent um, start to influence me at that point as well but it was kind of like I was reading about one sort of style but doing this and again it was, I suppose a lot of that was perhaps peer pressure because there was a lot of um, people I knew around me were wearing that kind of um, 
that kind of look as well. So I can't imagine you ever one of the the hooligans though, going out for your Saturday uh, fight and all that. No, no, not me, not me at all. No, yeah. you know, I didn't, um, I didn't really sort of particularly follow the football. Football then isn't what football. Football's a huge commercial enterprise now. It wasn't really as as uh, you know the way it was then in, in the eighties. Yeah. It was it was just um, pack them into this terracing and 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 let them fend for themselves as we yeah. as we as we found out. But um, yeah, so it wasn't really my sort of thing. But certainly the way that that people dressed were, um, and then in about eighty seven. Um, 88, when I was say, 16, 17, and I went to college uh, up in the and I was exposed to a lot more um, people that had grown up in a bigger city um, and were, you know, the, the whole Buffalo uh, look had, had kind of come to the fore about 87, 88, and that hugely, like, just influenced me, and that completely sort of changed the way I. Uh, the way I, I sort of dressed. Um, and again, I would have, what are we talking garment-wise then? Well, there was there was kind of basics where um, you would wear like Levi five hundred ones that were worn in, you know, fairly roomy five hundred ones. Um, you would wear like black roll necks uh, under a, a black ME one or a green ME one jacket. Um, that was the kind of staple. I mean, we weren't do we were just kind of playing with it, you know. But these these things were the kind of real staples. Um, you would you would wear your MA one jacket, but with a shirt and a loud kind of fifties print tie um, was the kind of thing as well. Um, you would wear like big chunky docks with with steel toe caps, um, that kind of thing as well. Um, so. It, it was it was kind of difficult to define, but there was a kind of urban sort of uh, look to it that you could kind of get away with wearing now, and and it would it would still it would still look okay. And I think again, um, probably to this day, sort of has some kind of bearing on me caring about what I wear to an extent, you know, um, and I think that sort of two or three years there had had a sort of fairly fairly big influence on um on what I wear. Um and those those people that were around at the time will, will know sort of what, what I mean. I know it's difficult because you weren't there, but they will kind of have an idea of, of what 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 the look was. Um and it was defined by a few sort of fashion shoots in um and again in an arena magazine around that time. With, with, with a chap called Ray Peach, uh, a stylist, he died very young, um, and he was originally from Dundee, you know, which again, you kind of, we had this, oh, Ray's one of ours, you know, um, and again, this this kind of coincided with us, with like going out raving, so like Acid House, and um, which, whereas I never kind of dressed along the kind of baggy t-shirt. Well, you're, you're skipping really fast through all the phases. Yeah, but <laughs> it, it felt fast, Nick. You know, it did yeah. honestly. Because I'm only talking about a period of maybe what seven or eight years here, so it felt fast at the time. It yeah. felt as if you were you were moving sort of quickly forward through what influenced you. I've, I've not even talked about where I used to start going to, to charity shops again when I was like fifteen, sixteen. 
picking up old suits and and old um, suit jackets as well because I liked the way they looked and I used to really like the Beatles and I still do but you know when I used to look at the photographs of them and they just looked so cool when they when they were kind of off duty with their, their roll necks and their um, their three button suits and I wanted a piece of that you know what and the only place you could buy stuff like that of that style was um, was was it was charity shops you know. Um, I did notice we got a question about the what was the best jacket to wear while riding a motorbike, and I have to say that's a twofold answer because if you want to look cool and vintage, you'd want a vintage Bellstaff jacket or a Barber International. But mm. if you want to be safety, wear a modern piece of motorbike. Uh, yes. well, yeah, yeah. Um, absolutely, great question because I mean, certainly the modern motorcycle jackets are built-in Kevlar and everything, aren't they? They're, they're yeah. designed to, to, you can get off the road and, and stuff like that. So, yeah. yeah. But um, it's interesting because you're skipping through the various sort of musical phases here and living way up north in the Arctic regions. I mean, we'd see this stuff in the face or arena or whatever. Yeah. Uh, I remember seeing uh, photos of the sort of young London guys with their immaculate hair and their MA1 jackets and stuff. We couldn't fucking buy that stuff. Right, okay. And, and you couldn't really... I suppose you could mail order it back then, but that was hugely complicated. I mean, even paying yes. for stuff. So you had the people in town who'd actually forked out the exorbitant price for plane tickets to London. Uh, and we did occasionally do that and stay in some hellhole in Bayswater with yes. carpet in the shower and whatever. Yeah, yeah. And then go shopping for stuff. But really, it just wasn't available. I mean, the, sh the clothes shops in town would have what was deemed the sort of official fashion that season. Yeah. But to be honest with you, Nick, it wasn't widely available where I was either. I mean, if you walked into the, the sort of main shops at the time, um, there was a shop, uh, obviously Burton's was, was the main kind of men's outfitter. Um, you had uh, a sort of slightly trendier version called uh, Riggs, um, W-R-I-Y-G-T-S. So, again, you could buy sort of slightly better stuff in there. But to get, like, an MA1, you had to go to, you still had to go to a surplus shop. You know, so you still had to find a market or a surplus shop. And you kind of got to know the ones that would, would have this stuff, you know. If you wanted old... Levi's and old 501s and that kind of thing. We used to have to come through here to Glasgow where I live now and go to a shop called Flip, um, which dealt in second-hand clothing on a, on a massive scale, um, like American clothing. Um, they're, they're, they're no longer on, on the go. but um, So we used to you know, take a day trip to come through here on the train um, of you know 100-odd miles just to come by like one or two things and then, and then head back. So you, you kind of had to still know uh, Next was was in its kind of ascendancy at that time as well, and you know Next at the time, a lot of the clothes they sold were, were fantastic. You know that the, they sold really nice, well made, um, especially in the late eighties, like really nice, well made, made in Britain. Somebody called there, um, you know, and, and you would go there for like your your. Uh, your jumpers and that kind of thing, you know. Um, so if you wanted like a, a decent black roll neck, you go to next and maybe pay twenty quid 
a wee bit more than normal. Um, but you'd get something that would, would you know, would last you. Even Marks and Spencer at the time, you knew that they did like sort of fairly classic um, knitwear and stuff. So you knew you could go there if you wanted like a plain shirt or a plain jumper. You could go there and just kind of mix it up, you know. Um, but yeah, so you had you had to kind of mix and match where you got where you got things, you know. Yeah, I mean, I can remember from my teenage years, they were basically a new pair of jeans every year, probably a fresh pair of uh, high top white Nike uh, basket boots, and I think I had the same jacket for several years because I thought it was cool. Yeah, of course, I was one of the guys uh, into synth pop then, you know, depression right. mode and all this. Yeah, but at least we have a hairstyle that looked pretty decent, yeah. based on so, magazine photos. So what changed then? So what, what, like for you then? Uh, well, what? my sort of uh, whole career of being cool came to an end really in my early twenties when I became a father for the first time. Right, and that sort of just overnight changed my priorities quite dramatically. Right, and. Uh, and then over the years, I had another three kids and uh, moved around a lot. And uh, I don't know, so clothes actually didn't pay a huge, play a huge part in my life. Um, really, things weren't on the horizon. Mm-hmm. Didn't have that much cash to spend. Yeah. Um, and that changed for me 11 years ago uh, when I got divorced and sort of was freed up again. <laughs> Some money. <laughs> I think, like, yeah, I think the financial aspect of it is, is is important as well, isn't it? Where you know how much sort of free money do you have to to, to spend on clothing at the time, you know? So, but I think that's got to influence you a bit as well. But um, and I think access to the internet now, you can kind of see different clothes and different styles and and stuff. But I kind of stuck with that until I think. So early twenties, and then I, I too, kind of just, I think I lost, lost a bit of interest in it. Where you were kind of busy, you were getting dressed to go to work. You know, you had a couple of pairs of jeans you could wear. Top of the top, you, I, I kind of stuck with. I was kind of always known for wearing a jumper for some reason. It was like people would go out and wear a shirt, and and, and I was kind of always this guy that was known for wearing, wearing jumpers. I had this thing about jumpers, anyway. But yeah, I think I was less interested in it whilst I was in my twenties as well. I think um, it was of less importance to me. Um, you know, other things became more crucial, and then I think it wasn't until I was maybe sort of thirty odd, where I had a little bit more expendable income, that um, I started to sort of maybe buy a few more clothes, and um, you know, you, you kind of get to sort of know certain styles that you see. And again, the sort of perhaps the whole Britpop sort of thing came around, whereas the music didn't interest me in the slightest. There was a kind of slight mod style revival of, of, of style at that point, 60s influenced style again, that may then have, of um, may then have influenced me, I think, again at that point, whereas uh, you could you could buy these like Levi's straight leg cords that again I, I used to wear them rather than jeans all the time you know um, I had a, a a sort of white Levi denim jacket I used to wear a white one and a brown cord one 
um, and a blue one, and I used to wear them them a lot as as, as well. Um, and it, I, I think at that point I would I could afford to buy labels that were a little bit more expensive um, and stuff that I, I felt was going to last maybe a bit longer. This this kind of leads us on to what we started with around this um, uh, whole like sportswear kind of casual thing that, that, that I sort of in the very late 80s, early 90s that a lot of men um, would, would start to wear at that point um, and have kind of stuck with that. So they've kind of stuck with what they were wearing in their sort of late teens, early 20s, whether it's Adidas Gazelle trainers or uh, you know, Kagoul's Parkers, that kind of look, which is kind of influenced by uh, sort of which came, Oasis and, and uh, that kind of thing, and that that seems that seems to have stuck, doesn't it? That seems to have. I don't know whether I was maybe a bit old at that point. Um, I want to be. You know, I never understood who liked Oasis, but no, they're accounted for taste. Yeah, I mean, and I think it, they seem to influence quite heavily the, the way people dressed, but they've not, I think that's where a lot of people kind of write, that's that's the way I'm going to dress and I'm just going to keep dressing like that. And, yeah. and that's fine. Yeah, but I'm not saying that that's like a bad thing. It's just, it's something I've noticed where um, any sort of evolving, you know, maybe the labels get a bit more expensive. So whatever, you know, Parker, whatever you're going to, you're going to buy, you know, might be a little bit more expensive or uh, a little bit more exclusive of brand for some people. Um, you know, you might have a lot more pairs of trainers, you might buy more expensive jeans, but the essential look and, and essentially what you wear is, is still the same. And I think there's enough places on the high street for for people to, um, to, to keep that kind of look going. So whether it's sports shops or... Um, you know, sort of more specialist men's retailers dealing kind of high-end sportswear, you know, that kind of very much a high-end sportswear, which, again, influenced by the casual scene, but also with this sort of um, oasis, bit poppy thing um, from about 20-odd years ago. And I think that seems to be what influences men a lot these days, that they can take from that and they can, it, not take it, like easy to put together, but it's they can put through a few brands, and and if they're wearing something that's obviously of that brand, then that's they've made that effort, you know. So they bought something that isn't high street; it's a little bit smarter. And and some of the prices of these items, like Stone Island and stuff, and CP Company, that you know, at the very high end of it, it's you're saying, look, I bought this jacket that's four hundred and fifty quid. Some people are buying it because of the. the the technicalness of it, which, um, which was the original purpose, I believe, um, technical fabrics. But I think a lot of people now are wearing it to say, "Look, I'm wearing this jacket. There's my badge. You know, it's 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 cost me hundreds and hundreds of pounds. You know." Yeah. Um, so did I mean, that? I mean, is it is it even a good jacket if people don't know how much it cost? And how will they know if it doesn't have the big badge? Well, this is it. You know, so if if you Say for instance, where like your 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 Serac um, Parker is it Serac one? The the, the yeah. 
yeah, which you know, technically a very proficient item that is is going to last you, you know, the whole winter effectively, and and great for cycling for commuting. People going to know that it's a Serac jacket. No logo. So, I tell you though, um, going back a bit to sort of when things evolved further, there were two items really stuck in my mind when okay. I wanted to buy clothes again. Two items that had sort of made an impression on me early in life and always sort of been there as something that sometime, someday I'll really get into that. One of them was a wax jacket. I mean, I was a kid when I first came across them, and I didn't know that it was a barber or whatever, John Parker. Yeah. But it was always something I, I really wanted. Yeah. Uh, so I came to that later on in life. Yeah. And I always had this vision of a proper tweed jacket. Right. And the thing is, it took me a hell of a long time to find out that that was actually Harris tweed. Right, okay. It was that thick, rough tweed I was after. Yeah. And I keep seeing these jackets around, and they sort of looked almost right, but it was just this sort of thin toy mm. tweed. Mm -hmm. And I think it was, it must be uh, 11 years ago or so now that I first found a Harris tweed jacket and I sort of, oh, oh it's Harris tweed, right. That's what it is, yeah. <laughs> aye. Aye. So it's just having that knowledge to know what what you were looking for. And I, and even, even with that, you know, it's about getting the right one, wasn't it? So, um, yeah. Certainly with wax jackets, you would probably start off as I did with one that I got for fishing, you know, that was like 30 quid out of the catalogue or whatever, that um, wasn't Barber, but it might have been John Partridge, it might have been just a, a cheaper brand, but it did the job as in it was, it, you know, kept you dry in the rain. And, and, yeah. and it's not till later that you start to think, well, okay, so right, wax jackets, like it's about to be somebody that makes them that, is a little bit better or um what's the best one and barbara was always the name obviously that that sprang that's especially true when you sort of move from uh, needs-based shopping buying something that you need to fulfill a requirement yeah and into the more um can we can we say collectible shopping yeah absolutely yeah yeah uh, so you know you, you you get to think like okay yeah barbara's like you know that bit more expensive however it's it's the wax brand so and i think once you get that into your head so once you know that well maybe perhaps a john partridge one well, yeah, might be okay and do the same job you know um i had a, i used to have a mulberry one as well that was a lovely made coat but it's not a barber one you know you, you know the photos of uh, prince charles in his yeah. very much repaired old wax jacket yeah and whenever it comes up, there's people saying, oh, what a lovely barber he has and all that. Oh, no, it's a, not actually a barber, no. it's a John Partridge. Yeah. And I think they were as prominent for a while. It wasn't until Barber kind of like went global and, and really started pushing the marketing, which they, they, they always did do for an extent, you know, but, um, you know, they'd always advertise, but generally just in like country magazines and that kind of thing. It wasn't until they got a bit bigger that people then started to kind of buy more of the now it's become such a you know there's, there's as we know there's there's instagram pages absolutely dedicated to you know the wearing and and, and the history behind barber and people have done a lot of, a lot of research there you know? oh, yeah. it's like a wormhole isn't it people disappear down this uh waxy wormhole <laughs> excuse me <laughs> or, or rabbit hole 
Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah. still be a rabbit hole. Um, you know, I mean, you know, I like I like them. They're nice. They're practical. They're, they're they're warm in the winter if you need them. They're cool. So I'm not I'm not knocking them. They are they yeah. are great. They are. They're not the worst things. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. I have to admit though that when I got back into clothes again and started uh, sort of doing research and stuff, uh, I got into the forum world. This was right. early sort of. Uh, they, they tend to. Re First, them as the hashtag menswear years, which I suppose was early social media years with Tumblr and Twitter and later on sure. Instagram, I think. Um, and was that just to get information or was that. Well, it's a sort of double edged sword, really, because there's a lot of information, but it's also something of an echo chamber. Mm. So you might join a forum and follow a thread on a certain brand or something, and uh, it's really about people confirming the choices you want them to confirm you make. Okay. So you'll say, should I buy this? And you always have someone who says, oh yeah, that's great, brilliant. Yeah. Okay then. But it's, it's pretty dangerous. I got out of that world <laughs> many, many years ago. See, I'd always imagined there would, there would be the opposite, where it would be this kind of rule police around, you know, you say, oh, shall I wear you know, silver cufflinks after after ten AM on on a on a Thursday before Labour Day or whatever and, and people uh, say oh, you'll oh, definitely that. find them as well. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I could never really get into her, the whole rule thing. Mm. Um for one thing, I think most of the rules sound completely ridiculous. Mm. Uh one of the first ones I rebelled against was uh, when you do up your waistcoat, uh, the rules say you always have to leave the lower bottom button undone. Mm. Which to my mind, just looks messy, mm -hmm. and it's probably leaving your tummy a bit cold because it's mm -hmm. open to the elements. So why the hell would you do that? Oh, because some guy who rode a horse once upon a time said that it must yes. be bollocks. Yes. I mean, there are like I'm not like, and it's it, you know you, you call them rules. I'm not entirely rule phobic, shall we say? So I understand why some of them are there. So there's some of them is there because things will look better if you follow a certain set of, of guidelines, right? Generally around formal wear. So generally, it's not to do with, with casual wear. It's more formal wear, which I don't really know a lot about, and I, I don't, but, you know, so if if you're if you're wearing a suit, don't wear a shirt untucked under, you know, I'm talking at that level where yeah. there's things that you think, well, okay. I, I, do, I do follow the rule about not wearing a tartan shirt with my tux. Right. But then again, I don't have a tuxedo either, so it's never become a real big problem. Likewise, likewise. <laughs> I suppose a lot of that's about sort of trying to maybe blend in rather than I, I, I don't know. It's a, it's a wormhole, and it's for it's for somebody else, I think. Uh, <laughs> rules, you know. Yeah. Maybe, maybe we should just sort of skip past that. <laughs> mm -hmm. But um, yeah, so what, what were we on? We were on. Yeah, so you're saying about like so for you. You went to these forums to try and sort of find out uh, stuff. That was really a case of actually sort of becoming familiar with what is out there. Right. Uh, and what is a bit different. Um, I mean, I guess I could sort of look, what, what are the other guys on the train wearing this morning? Not very inspirational, really. Right. And, uh, at a certain point in life, sort of boy bands aren't going to provide you any inspiration. Um, 
So them, them, you looking at them and not getting inspiration, would that inspire you to then look at that a little bit further and dig, dig a little bit deeper? Yeah, and I think I also find it a bit hard to actually accept inspiration, maybe. Okay. Uh, I mean, I want to be the guy inventing stuff. I don't yeah. want to be the follower. Yeah. yeah. Which okay. sounds incredibly arrogant, I know. but no, so, no, that's, that's under, totally understandable, you know. Um, okay, so that led you to then... Because one thing you always you always do is um, a lot of research. You know, you tend to research brands. I do like to dive a bit deep into stuff. Yeah. Uh, which was really why I started the whole blog thing, because if I was going to be researching stuff, why didn't I also write about it so others could know about it? Mm -hmm. I mean, a lot of people know stuff already, but uh, I mean, the blog has been a, a great thing. A lot mm -hmm. of people have appreciated it. So I haven't been completely uh, misguided in thinking it would be a good idea. No, no. I mean, certainly, like it, it, it influenced me to the respect of worrying more about where your things are made and, and worrying more about um, the longevity of things. You know, a lot of the the, the sort of brands that uh, called brands are not really brands; they're like labels that small labels that you 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 advocate and buy might be sort of out of my price range to the extent. And I think maybe I'm more discovering brands that perhaps everyone knows about anyway, that, you know, by doing a bit of research, I'm, I'm able to, to, to find out. But certainly it, it's influenced me to that extent where, um, you know, about the provenance, as we talked about the other week of stuff, um, about, you know, the, the, um, where things came, about where things are made and how long that's going to last you, which was always there with me to an extent, but certainly since starting reading your blog um a few years ago it's certainly given me a lot more a lot more insight into that you know um a lot more insight and that's 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 definitely been an influence on on myself you know um sure yeah a lot of these things do become more interesting once you start delving into them though so the more information you have the more interesting it becomes and yeah you want to sort of keep digging yeah it does yeah i i I was always a case, or have been for the, the sort of last twenty odd years, where it, you know, if I wanted to buy a certain type of shoe or, or a certain, thing, I would have to then go and find out like who kind of makes the best one. So who's best at doing that? You know, is that out of my price range? Yes, can I buy it second hand? You know, and, and going down that route. So like always try and find out with everything. You know, whether it's like t-shirts, who makes the best? Who, who's classed as making the best t-shirts? You know, I challenge you, Sean, to find out who makes the best T-shirt. I'll even make it easier by saying who makes the best white T-shirt. Oh, <laughs> you'll find so many opinions on that. Really? Is, and, see that? that you know, that's, that's you'll probably like, end up in Japan somewhere with T-shirts costing two hundred quid a pop. Exactly, and and you, you need you need a kind of limit. So even you know you could go on to Amazon and buy a pack of five Fruit of the Loom T-shirts for twenty pounds. Actually. They're all right, you know. They're fairly, um, no, fairly thick and fairly decent, decent quality. But um, are they going to last you maybe more than a summer? You know, probably not. So then you're getting into the whole, like, do you want to keep buying stuff like that? You know. The thing is, I mean, has a white t-shirt ever really lived its natural life without becoming stained by coffee or something? Yeah, before? yeah, yeah. And then, and then you'll tend to, well, I do, and then it'll get, it'll get 
put down to sort of evening casual wear, and then it'll get put down to like what I wear in bed, you know, and then it'll be cut, cut up for uh, cut up for dusters kind of thing after that. So I suppose in that way it's recycled. But using t-shirts as an example, so you know, so if I wanted a pair of um, you know casual trousers, who 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 makes the best? You know, who's supposed whose advice do I take on who makes the best, you know, um, as well. So you kind of do a little bit more research. Yeah, and this is where sometimes if you, when you're buying second hand, where you, you go online and you see, oh, no one else has noticed yet that these are quite good second hand, you know, because the second hand market having different buying guidelines that so it might not have been picked up yet that a certain brand makes good stuff and it's going for a bit cheaper second hand so then that's where you can sort of dive in and buy as much as you can before before everyone else um notices i'll give you great um grenfell for an example used to be 10 a penny on, on ebay cheapest chips now i don't know what six seven hundred pounds for, for for some of the coats you know oh starting price yeah i mean i sold one recently i think i got about eight times what i paid for it you know and I, actually worn it and it wasn't that nice a jacket but but yeah so again that i think looking at influences i think that sort of process that you've you've helped with and i think you've probably helped a lot of others where it's about just digging that a little bit deeper and you know and finding out what you can i see the the wind's uh increasing here now sean yeah. and i think uh, our topic is sort of drifting <laughs> away from its starting point yeah so uh should we call it today Yes. Okay. I will. Uh, I will catch up maybe next week or whatever. Okay. Yep. Okay. Right. Thanks. Cool. See you later. Bye. 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 That's all for this episode of Gomology. If you enjoyed this, please do subscribe, and I would really appreciate a good rating. Thanks for listening in, and see you next time.